0: Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of life, a weekly podcast for BJJ enthusiasts who are striving to succeed both on and off the mats. This podcast is brought to you by Robless, makers of the world's finest custom jujitsu apparel. And here are your hosts on the jujitsu of life, Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. So
1: far- I apologize
2: ahead of time. We're having some uh, spotty internet out oh, yeah. here. And uh, in my remote secret location of the
1: world. (laughs) The the Kyle (laughs) Internet. The Kyle Internet. Um, Well, you know, it's funny, man, because when I first talked to you about this idea of of what I wanted to talk about, I'd only had sort Uh of two examples in quick succession. But then I had the third example a couple days ago. So what I'm talking about is we finally watched uh the final season of narcos mexico which if people have not watched narcos and narcos mexico you are missing a treat it's glorious they're really good and they tie in very well together and they're about drug trafficking my big obsession and i always like seeing these things because there's there's people that do things in sort of a reckless pablo escobar type of way and then there's the Cali cartel the gentleman of the Kali cartel, where they're, they're a lot more strategic. And because of that, they were able to sort of be under the radar for a lot longer and be in many ways, a lot more powerful, because they understood it was better to essentially pay people off and figure out what people want and do an enormous amount of intel on people versus just killing anyone who got in the way, which is what Escobar did. And Escobar sought out a lot of attention. And these guys were very low key. So at one point in the show, um, the sort of Mexican end of of their business was was a guy named Amado, and he was known as Lord of the Skies because he was he was a pilot, and he was sort of the first guy to really start doing a lot of flights from Mexico to the U.S. And chaotic things are happening, and he says the quote, "When the, or where there is chaos, there is opportunity. Where there's chaos." there's opportunity and that struck me I was like man I really I like that idea Um, and the next day I was listening to Ben Askren talk to Lex Friedman Ben Askren was a very successful collegiate wrestler who became an MMA fighter for a while and his style of wrestling was known as the funk style And he really sort of revolutionized the style of collegiate wrestling because it became a very scrambly, both guys grabbing each other's legs at the same time type of style. And he talked about how he learned this style. And it was basically because he was training with people that were not as good as him. And so the way he would make it more difficult for himself is allow the guy to grab a leg and almost take him down and get to that, what I would call that chaotic moment and start from there. And he learned all the different elements of sort of a chaotic, scrambly style of wrestling so that he knew where all the paths were gonna lead and and the feel of all the paths, because he was so used to that, so that when he started training with better and better people, he would put them in situations where he had been there a thousand times, and this was this other person's first time there. So you can imagine that in anything in life where you have an enormous amount of experience and it's the other person's first time, you have a huge tactical advantage. So he figured where there was chaos, there was opportunity. And then the third time, I had a meeting with a bunch of bankers. And what's interesting to me about this bank is it's a relatively new sort of version of the bank. The bank had been around for a long time, but in 2004, these guys came in and they bought the only bank of this bank and they took it from a sort of a $10 million deposit bank, which is a very small bank, to over a billion in I think 15 branches throughout central Texas. And they did this in 17 years. And people who know their history know that they did a lot of this through the recession when banks were failing, especially small banks were failing left and right. And one way that they really were allowed to grow is that as these smaller banks were panicking and they had a lot of loans on their books, this company would come in and they would buy their loans for a huge discount, like 50 cents on the dollar, because these companies were so desperate to get these, these banks were so desperate to get the loans off their books that these guys were able to come in and buy them at half price. And none of the loans defaulted, none of them. So they were really able to get a, a, just a solid, solid asset. Was that is, that, is that, was that just from being fortunate and lucky? Partly, but it was also partly, they did a lot of due diligence on the loans they bought. So they didn't just buy everything. They would buy things selectively, but they were able to do this for for multiple banks. And this is a huge way they were able to build up their own portfolio and take over the relationship with the borrower and, and they've they've been, you know, I've been borrowing with these guys for for about a year now, and they've been great. Like they're very personal. I know all the people. I've got to meet a lot of them face to face. And it's a very different thing than a lot of the banking relationships I've had before where it's like, you know, it's just this person, and then, oh, they quit. Okay, it's somebody else. It's just sort of a, a, a voice on the end of a phone line versus somebody that you can actually meet and talk to. But a huge part of their development was during the chaos of that, of 2008, 2000 through 2010. And then the second time that they've had their largest jump has been over the last year and a half during COVID. So they've they've realized mm-hmm. that the two most chaotic times that I can remember financially in my adult life have been the two most profitable times for this bank. So I figure if it works for the Lord of the skies, if it works for Ben Askren and it works for this bank, it can work for you and me, buddy. We can find the opportunity in that chaos. So
2: 100% people oftentimes um, that I know I say oftentimes the few people that are in my circle and they ask me about business. And they say, Mo, what does it take to have a successful business? And what I tell them is something that's not new to me. Whoever told it to me though, it wasn't new for like, they, they the person that told it to me, I got it from them, the per- but they got it from someone else and so on and so forth. And that is business is really not rocket science. It's just looking for solutions to problems. The reason why there's opportunity in chaos is because chaos oftentimes will bring about a new set of problems, where now you have the opportunity to create a, a solution to this problem, and therefore take it to the market and sell it to the people. Uh, case in point, you know your your lenders that those banks they bailed out some other it, the the recession created a bunch of problems for these banks. They wanted to get these loans off their books yeah, so they they came up with a solution. It, it became an opportunity for them. Uh, a lot of people can say whatever whatever you want, but you know the pandemic created a ton of problems. You yes. know, how were people going to continue to do business and work? And so you saw the rise of people having meetings on Zoom. I mean, look at the stock. how how much it went up for that particular company, right? So it was chaos. But for that particular company, it created a, an enormous amount of opportunity because there were unique problems that no one had really thought about solving before, yes. right? Yes. And so, a lot of times it's mindset. Are you going to be the type of person that when there when chaos strikes, are you thinking about you know are you, are you thinking about, um, man, you know it's over for me? What you should be doing is looking for the pivot, looking for where is the opportunity in this? What are the new problems? And how can I solve them and don't be don't pigeonhole yourself into thinking that this is my business. This is what I do. And I only do this because that changes. Everything has to change. The seasons change, the markets change, everything is cyclical and you should always be prepared to pivot. So if your business is starting to suffer because of chaos, that's happening around you again, look for the problems, the unique problems that have been created. And start to think about, hey, am I in a position where I have talent or skill, uh, specific knowledge that can solve these solutions? And I guarantee you, you, you should most likely prosper because people will always pay you to solve their problems. Yes. You know, when you're in the when you're in business, you're in you're in the problem solving business, and that's yes. why chaos probably creates more opportunity than anything else because it creates a whole set of problems. that that are very unique that most people hadn't seen before. And the reason why that's important is because when you think about problems that we have today, that we've seen day in and day out, there's a ton of different solutions, which means what? There's a ton of competition. Everybody's trying to solve the same problem. But when you have uh, something like the pandemic and it's something new, there's these new problems and no one's come up with a solution. So now there's a lot of, Power in being first, even being second and third, because there's less competition out there.
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know being in in the Austin area, we see sort of extreme example of that with Elon Musk, where for years, I think he had had sort of not butting heads with the the government in California and a lot of you know sort of issues that a lot of business owners in California feel. And when the pandemic started, I think he kind of took stock and started looking around and seeing, like, where are states being sort of more reasonable to businesses versus where are they being unreasonable? And California, in my mind, they're still being unreasonable. So he's just like, screw it. I'll just move to Texas. And because richest man in the world can do what he wants. And so he's like, I'm just going to do that. And for those of us here, the the speed at which that enormous gigafactory building has been built is is crazy. And now he's just like, you know what, I'll move everything. I'll move Tesla out here too. And he's creating, I've I've heard somewhere 10,000 jobs. I don't know how many jobs are are moving to to Austin area, but a, a lot. And it was just, I don't think he would have done that had there not been the pandemic. Because a lot of it, I think a lot of business owners and you and I were talking about this beforehand, when you start seeing the way your government takes advantage of the chaos to grab more power versus other governments are like, no, we need to get this back to way it was because this is it's more important that, you know, people are in charge of their own destiny. And you see the sort of divergent paths that have happened, that tells you a lot. And and for me, it makes me happy that I live in Texas. Because you know, I think One hundred percent I mean that's a very good point. Have, yeah,
2: you know? I mean governments are are not much different. I mean no. they're they're a business. Yes. And who do you think is going to try to capitalize on chaos more than anyone else? It's going to be the government. Yes. The government's going to look for these problems and then they're going to offer you solutions, but at what cost? What cost is what you always have to ask. Yes. And usually when it comes to politics and when it comes to government, the cost is usually your freedom to yes. some degree. It's yeah. giving them more power. That's that's what it is in government.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we've, we've seen this historically. I mean, a lot of people still talk. about I'm not about
2: this. arguing good or bad either way. No, it's, just but, it, but it's what's
1: it's true. I mean, you, you look what at what happened after September 11th. We had the Patriot Act. Like, you know, there there's there's historic precedents for that. You know, it was Rahm Emanuel said, "Never let a good crisis go to waste." So, the, you know, governments always look for reasons to for your safety and and whatnot, your welfare, of course it just happens to coincide with their power. So that's something where we've seen this, we've seen this happen with COVID. And what I like is that, you know, business owners and entrepreneurs, because you already have that mentality of like, I'm in the driver's seat of my life, then you pivot, then you move. Like there's so many businesses that are like, screw it, I'm just gonna move out of the state. And I've seen, you know, you've seen this happen over and over again with California. A lot of them are moving here, Tennessee, Florida, places where they tend to be a little bit business friendly, more sort of letting people do what they want to do type of thing. And that became more and more important when people saw, oh, well, no, this this state is going to literally shut my business down it, at a whim over and over again. It's like, I'm just going to move my business. And what we've seen, another thing, and, and this is funny, because I actually did predict this on this podcast. Uh, Starbucks, my beloved Starbucks, they are now setting up uh stores that are to go orders only which i did predict a long time ago because they're realizing and i think a lot of places are realizing the real money is in the to-go and why have a place where you have nothing but potential problems in terms of people just hanging out all day and then there was sort of the homeless issue and there's all these different things where it's like let's just have a smaller geographic footprint and we'll just do everything to go and so they're starting to do that now um you know going to temple you have the dutch brothers coffee place which is like a literal 800 square foot little building only does to go stuff just has drive through there's two of them that have popped up during the pandemic that's another company that became very profitable they actually just went public recently the owner is now a billionaire and their whole thing was always to go once the pandemic kicked in man they started going like crazy cuz there's two in temple there's there's ones in Colleen. there's one in Hutto. there's sort of like all surrounding i don't think there's any in austin yet but but there are a lot of the surrounding areas and stuff like that um you know it makes perfect sense i look at what they're doing business wise and it's like they have profited from the chaos so it's you know i think it's just different mentalities because there's the, the the victim mentality which is like this is so unfair this is terrible uh, you know or I mean, which which is it's true but it's kind of like well how are you going to look at this are you going to look at this like, this is just terrible. I'm, I'm like, I'm never going to have the life I had before. Or are you going to look at it and go, okay, how is this going to make people react? And how can I use this to my advantage? And, you know, I'll take you another example is right now I'm debating whether to start another construction project or not. And it's already, like I was telling you, it's like literally some of the prices are like 70% more than they were seven zero, 70% more than they were one year ago. I'm like, oh my God, that's crazy. But then you and I were talking, and it's like, well, maybe this is just the reality now. Maybe things have just taken that big jump, that big idea of like over a year period, decades worth of price increases happen at one point. Because in a way, it makes sense for me to build something because now I can argue to somebody, well, I can sell you to this, you know, I can sell you this thing at 30% less than the cost it would take to build it now, you know, because I have this thing basically done where it's literally, I was already way under market price for building a year ago, but now I'm like 100% below the price. So I could sell this thing at a huge markup because somebody's gonna have to spend twice as much as, as I spent to build it. So it's like, you start looking yeah. at that as like, okay, that's an opportunity. I look at another thing that I've got in a contract where it's like, it's an office building. And this is sort of a two-fold attack, number one, people freaked out about having office. Like a lot of office owners were trying to sell like mad over COVID because they're like, no one's ever gonna go to work again. And there's definitely segments that are not gonna go to the office the way they did before, but there's also segments that always will. Like, you know, when you go to the dentist, you can't Zoom a dentist thing. They're not gonna be like, show me your teeth. Okay, just 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 clean this, do that. You I mean, like you, it's not gonna happen. There's a lot of stuff that's gonna be in person. To me, it's just a matter of figuring out what those businesses are. And then scaling down so you have like a smaller building, a 3,000 square foot building or something like that where you have, okay, there's just going to be one business in here. It's going to be a a doctor, a dentist, you know, know, something like that. And finding things like that because I found something like that right next to another area where they're going to build more. But I know that the cost of building because everything's gone up so much, it's literally going to be three times what I'm paying for this thing. So does that mean it's three times more valuable? I mean, maybe, but it also means I could I can upsell this thing quite a bit as soon as those other ones are done because I have something that's way cheaper because I'm into it for way less. So it's, it's sort of seeing the, I'm looking two or three years down the line and saying this crazy construction cost is going to help me by getting these things now because if the cost is really going to be that much higher on a permanent level, then that helps me. So it's versus... I'm not gonna lie, I was looking at these numbers a couple weeks ago and on. this is terrible, this is terrible news, this is an abomination. But, but now it's like, okay, but maybe it's not because the thing with chaos, especially the chaos that we're experiencing right now, is it's hitting everybody all over the world. It's like it's an un- unprecedented time of chaos. And that's terrible for a lot of people and a lot of things and a lot of stuff that's happened. But at the same time, because it's happened to everybody, it's kind of like, is it a rising tide that's lifted all boats or it's sunk all boats? I don't know, but it's affected everyone. So then it's like, mm-hmm. there's an opportunity in that. You know what I mean? Because it's like if, constru- if if material costs, if the supply chain that everyone's talking about, if this is slowed down for everybody in the United States, well, now everyone's in the same position. So, so there's gotta be an opportunity for that. And, and I, I was listening to uh, Jocko talk to Joe Rogan and they're talking about how for their company, the second best ski company on the planet. We know which one is number one, but they're talking about how they can compete <laughs> much better now than they were able to a couple of years ago because before it was like the cost was much more in America, but the shipping was minimal. Now they're like the, sh- the cost of shipping for a lot of these countries overseas because of the delays in that, it's increased quite a bit to the point now where Origin stuff and their costs are, are, are getting closer and then they can argue the quality of origin because everything's made in the U.S. and blah, blah, blah. That is, That makes it worth people buying. So it's he's looked at the sort of the chaos of that and maybe some of the mistrust over where a lot of clothing is made. Well, that's an opportunity for him. So now they're expanding. Mm-hmm. They're buying a factory in North Carolina. I would like them to come to Central Texas. Why not come to Temple? It's way cheaper than Austin. Come buy one of my warehouses, Jocko. That would be outstanding. But I mean, like, you know, I look at this and we're talking about this with um, the microchips and how Samsung is doing a deal in Taylor, the, one of the biggest real estate deals of all time, a $17 billion deal that's coming to Taylor. I thought it was the, yeah, yeah. I, think I thought, it, might I thought be I heard it was
2: like the biggest.
1: Might be the biggest, yeah. yeah. And so that's gonna be something where you're gonna produce something that's needed with almost any type of technology you're going produce in Texas now instead of producing everything in China. Even though it's a Korean company, well, that's still- the problem that we are trying to solve. Right? That there was a huge, huge shortage.
2: Yeah. Of the microchips. Yes. Right, and so yes. uh, that's now they're positioning themselves to be the 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 company that that solves that problem.
1: Yes. Yes. And our our buddy and Andrew. Uh, infinitely more. Yeah, and, and so I mean I know uh, Andrew Zay was talking about trying to do that at one point as well because it's like when you see these issues with supply chain. To me, this is a huge opportunity for anybody in America who has any sort of inkling about manufacturing something, because it creates a great argument for let's not ever let this happen again, where you're relying on on a country which may or may not be our friend in China, um, Mm -hmm. where you're relying on the idea of boats coming into the port in LA or wherever and being offloaded and all that. It it creates a really good argument for why not build something in, in the United States, because now you have a lot more people on board because people see the effects of relying on a supply chain from one place from far away versus being able to manufacture stuff in the United States. Because before it was all about cost, price, it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. But as I like to say, a lot of times you pay the price for cheapness. And so maybe we're paying the price for that and that's that's bad and that's terrible in, term, in terms of things being delayed, but I think it gives a very good argument for why not build things here and that creates really interesting opportunity and bringing that back to Taylor because I, Taylor's been on my radar for a long time. I'm noticing all these new plots of land in the last 14 days since that, that announcement of the Samsung factory, all these new plots are all of a sudden for sale. Things that have been for sale for over a year they've doubled the price, the sales price. Hmm. So like all of a sudden, the people of Taylor have all this unique opportunity where they can start cashing in on property they may have had for a long time because now you're going to get a rush of investors wanting to invest in this area because you're having such an enormous deal that there's going to be ramifications in terms of you're going to have to build a ton of housing. You're going to have to do all these different things to support this factory, this enormous, enormous factory. It's gonna create all these interesting opportunities for transportation and all these different things. So I don't know, it's, I, I think the advantage of looking at it like this is life is always chaotic. Like this idea that things are just slow and steady, in hindsight, over a long period of time, maybe. But when you're actually living the life, there's chaos, man. There's always chaos, this idea of like wanting to get, you can't get away from it. And I think the sooner you sort of look at how is this going to affect things and, and, and where can I go and, and what can I do and how can I pivot in order to make this good for me, good for my family, good for my people, the better it's going to be because it's going to happen. Yeah, It's going to happen regardless. And I
2: think that's what it always, you know, that's not what it always comes down to, but, you know, that's just... Again, mindset, perception, right? What, what some people see is chaos is is some people see as opportunity and only opportunity. They don't even recognize it as being chaotic. They just yeah. see it uh, very stoically as um, uh, uh, an opportunity for them to get ahead. You know, and, and I would say one of the things there, because one of the things that I said, I was like, you got to learn how to adapt and you may have to do something that, um you're not that that's that's not what you got into business doing and now you may have to kind of position and change your business and a lot of people especially jujitsu school owners they would say well how do i do that how do i how do i do something i i am a i am here to teach jujitsu how do i do anything else like i'm not going to close down my school what i would say for those people because there 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 are certain people that are in business that it's so specific right what we've done is is, well, we don't just have one business, right? You diversify and you can have several different businesses. Um, another thing that I would always, always always preach is, um, you know, I've talked to you a lot about uh, you know, I, everyone has different temperaments and ideas and and whether or not we've talked about this before, what's right, what's wrong, that's really questionable. The only really the only thing that really matters is what is what you are doing working, right? So um, you know, there's there's things that I invest in that people look at and they're like, I would never invest in that. But it really doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is whether or not Mo's making money from it, right? And if you're doing something that I would never invest in, I'm not going to say, hey, well, that's a stupid investment, because the only thing that really matters is whether or not you are making money in it. And uh, you know, case in point, like I've been telling you about. You know, the metaverse stuff. I've been talking to you <laughs> yeah. about like cryptocurrency yeah. stuff. Yep. I like to invest in, in those types of things. Yep. And a lot of people ask me, Mo, what do you do with your profits? So we've made a significant amount of profit in 2021 from crypto. Yep. What do I do with those profits? I put them back into different businesses. We've also started, we started a new painting business in 2021, right? Um, I put a lot of cash away because I'm thinking about what happens if deflation comes? Yeah. You know, I'm always trying to be create contingency plans. Yes. But what I would tell a lot of people, especially school owners, where I'm going with this is you need to diversify. So take the profits you have now. Yes, put them in and, and, and look, here's what a lot of people do. And and this is a good thing. The first investment should be if you have a good business, reinvest back into your good business. Yeah. This can be problematic, however, if what I'm telling you is you gotta be able to pivot. And so now let's say you're a school owner and you're starting in a second school and a third school, that may be a little bit problematic, right? So what I would say is look, yes, reinvest back in your business to a certain degree. You also need to reinvest in something that has nothing to do with jujitsu. Yeah. It has to be diversified, exactly. right? And the number one thing I will always preach, people say, oh, Mo, so you you invest in crypto now, so like, are, are you all in crypto? No, let me tell you what I do with a lot of my crypto profits or what I intend on doing with a lot of my crypto profits is one, at least 30% will go back into Robles. I want to serve my customers better. Uh, 30%, I'll probably keep in cash. And another 30% is going to go into my all-time favorite investment, and I believe in this one, 100%. And I think this is what jujitsu school owners need to do is real estate, yeah. invest in real estate. take profits from your business, reinvest back into your school, but also reinvest into real estate. Let me tell you a unique way you can do this. You can kill two birds, one stone. Uh, Travis Took did this. Mm. Open up your school, own the real estate that the school sits under. If you need to position and you need to start subleasing your school, the space in it, you can always find ways to make money when you own that real estate. But I would say, Take some of the profits that you're making now. Understand that regardless if the government prints billions and billions of dollars, it it wouldn't have mattered. Let's say the government never did that. Economies are still cyclical. You're still going to have bad economies, and you need to prepare for those days. The way you prepare for them is by taking your profits now and reinvesting back into your business, but also into something that has nothing to do with your business. And my number one top pick is always going to be real estate. Again, what's right for me is not right for everybody else. I'm gonna say real quick, cause I know this is stupid, but Mo's not a I don't do what Mo does. Mo's not a financial advisor. And, uh, um, but I'm sharing my experiences. What I do wanna share is like, you know, where the places I've taken W's and the, the places I've taken L's, I think, uh, you know, and what, and if you can learn from those things and, and uh, do your own research and, and figure out what's best for you at, at the end of the day, I think that's great. I mean, I I think um, both me and Carter would like to see everybody make a profit, make money, have a better life, whether you're doing exactly what we're doing or doing something completely different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I think it's uh jujitsu has been sort of an interesting thing to see what's happened to some of the people, um, you know, you've seen some where it seems like it just was sort of a, a little little hiccup on the road. No big deal. Others schools, even locally, have shut down. Um, you look at some of the famous jiu-jitsu people, especially ones in New York and stuff like that. A lot of them are gone from New York. I mean, Dan her death squad is gone. Marcelo Garcia's school was closed for like a long time. Um, this could bring to the idea again is it worth living in cities where they can take away your business like that that's absolutely something to consider hence dan death squad is now in austin as is the b team so i mean there, there's going to be physical relocation that can happen um i think not having all your you know eggs in one basket is smart i think having different things that have nothing to do with jujitsu jitsu is a smart thing to do um i think that the question remains is teaching jiu-jitsu the most profitable martial art or does it make sense to to team up with other martial arts or other things or fitness camps or different you know just a gym gym type of thing where you know that that's Tom de blast recently yeah
2: no i i i like what you're saying there i mean it's it's, it's funny that you're saying that Tom to blast put a post out uh yesterday i think and he was talking about it's hard to get rich uh teaching jiu-jitsu yeah, um, you have to work on building your personal brand. I, I've seen that he he's done that a lot, and he's able yeah. to gain some sponsorships. He's written a book um, yeah. uh, and, and all that type of thing. and and I think that that's smart. Those are uh, developing different streams of income. yeah, and if those streams are unrelated, uh, then if one stream goes down, will you still have this other source of income? Yeah. This is just the fundamental for you study people that have accumulated wealth over a lifetime. They have different streams of income. Uh, a lot of times, those streams of income are unrelated, and they should be because the, the the whole idea is that if something affects this stream, it's gonna it should it should
1: not affect this other stream because yeah. they're unrelated. Yeah, yeah, and and I think you know going back to the idea of where there's chaos, there's opportunity. Another opportunity that really anybody has right now, again, because COVID has affected everybody. You can see, okay you can sort of study and see who has done well throughout this and who hasn't and why from a, you could do that from jujitsu schools. And, and we saw that sort of firsthand live as it was happening. We saw some people that are like, okay, well, I need to keep my students feeling like they're involved in a community because that's one of the most important things about a jiu-jitsu school is, you know, let's face it, there's a ton of jujitsu now. So, It's not necessarily about the instruction or the this or that. It's the people. You're in the people business, both as a consumer and as a producer. So the people, the the instructors that were able to keep that sense of community going, be it through Zoom or whatever you had to do for a certain amount of time, those seem to be the ones who did the best. The ones who just kind of were like, oh, I just hope things turn back to normal. A lot of those guys went out of business because they just kind of put their head in the sand and they didn't really. They they thought that okay, well, if I can't do this the way I want to do this, then this sucks and I'm not doing anything. And that's not, that's not being proactive. That's being reactive. So we've had a good coming up on two years of being able to study how did businesses deal with chaos that didn't just affect them. And whether they knew they were.
2: Yeah, and, and whether or not, that's a great point. And whether or not they knew they were doing it, the thing is, is the pandemic created a whole unique problem to the jiu-jitsu community. Yes. One of the major problems that it created was that a lot of people, jujitsu, like 1% of people probably compete in jujitsu. Yeah. For the other like 95 to 99% of people, it is their outlet. Yes. So, you are taking something away that's important to their physical health or mental, their mental health or spiritual health. It is their, it is is a healthy outlet for them. Some people are dealing with addictions and jujitsu was an outlet for them, right? It kept their mind off of, you know, falling off the wagon, whatever, what, what, you know, whatever we're talking about. Yeah. That is the, that was a major problem that it created. And so as a jujitsu school owner, you're like, okay, there's the problem. How do I solve it? And so one of the, you're right. The jujitsu schools that did very, very well is they're the ones who looked after their flock, right? They made sure that the community stayed tight because people were isolated. People people were isolated who didn't want to be isolated. They wanted to have like physical contact. They wanted to roll. They wanted to get out their, uh, you know, uh, the, whatever stress and tension that the day brought upon them, especially with the pandemic, people were losing their jobs, this, that, and the other. The jujitsu schools that prospered were the ones that kept that community together because that was the problem, is that the community was becoming disconnected, Yes. right? Yeah. And so they looked for ways to keep people connected, whether that was through doing school on Zoom, whether that was organizing some you know, limited one-on-ones, whatever yeah. it was, l- or whether it was just calling your students and being like, "Hey, I'm just calling to check up on you. I want to see how you're doing? I want to know. I want you to know that we're going to get through this, and the school's going to be back here. You know, as soon as we can open things back up. But I'm I'm checking on you because we are still in this together, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. And that's as that's, opposed
2: to the guy that it's like, nah, it's not the same. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You're 100% right. Yeah. 100% yeah. right. Look for the problems to solve. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to this is a problem that's affecting my business, I'm out. Like that's just that that mindset's never gonna
1: cut it. It's not it's not a way to live. And it's definitely not a way to um, this get what's cool is we got to see how do the best people in the world at anything handle this because everybody went through this. You think about other chaoses that have happened in life, like they're much more individual, like, you know, a school owner or someone that gets sick or or a family member gets sick or something like that. Or, or, you know, we have even like the economic recession of 2008. I mean, it was bad, but it was bad in a lot of specific industries and things like that. And um, it was relatively short lived in terms of some of the effects, you know what I mean? Um, And even that was not as worldwide as something like COVID. And it wasn't as that was sort of a ticking time bomb that people that were paying attention were noticing. Um, this was much more just, it just happened. Um, so we've gotten a chance to study, well, how do the best people in the world react? How does Elon, how's Elon Musk, You know, richest man in the world? Like, well, what does he do when this happens? Because it happened to him, you know what I mean? And that's, that's what's been so cool about it is that you've got all these case studies from the best of the best And how do they deal with a pandemic? Because everyone dealt with a pandemic at the same time. So it's like, if you look at this from an ability to learn how the best people handle adversity, you've seen this. I mean, to me, another example is the UFC, because, you know, pro sports in 2020 really shut down, except for the UFC. And they figured, okay, like, this is happening. So how do we still put on events? Okay, well, we need to control the location and control the people. And they started coming up with a protocol and the NFL, the NBA and all that, they used the protocol that the UFC created because the UFC was like, the show must go on. Like, we're not going to stop doing this. We've got this deal with ESPN. We're we're doing this. We're not going to throw up our hand in the air and just cancel whatever. No, we're not doing this. And so they were able to very, very quickly get back to showing fights. And I think they had one of their best years in 2020. I mean, they had certainly had an enormous number of great fights. And as soon as they could have audiences again, they did it. So that was. Another- and let me tell you, that was, I, I don't I, I can't speak for everybody else. Um, but I, but I
2: remember when UFC started putting on their fights again, you know, like on fight Island and, yeah. you know, even though there wasn't a crowd there and it wasn't the same when I was watching those fights during the pandemic, I was so grateful. I was so thankful yeah. because it returned me to something that I enjoyed so much. It returned to me some sort of normalcy. I was grateful, uh, for those, you know, for, 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 seeing those fights. And I know anybody who's a, who's a fan of, of combat and a fan of fighting, whether it's boxing or, or whatever, um. They they uh, would have appreciated that. And so, again, they saw a problem. And instead of folding, they were like, okay, how do we solve this problem? Yeah. And the consumer reacted. The yeah. consumer reacted. Like you said, they had one of their best years probably because yeah. the consumer reacted. Because people, that's the thing is when you're in business, you are not in, like, we are not in the paint business. We're not in the gee business. We're not, we're, we're in the problem-solving business, yes. right? And yeah. we're going to look for what is the why, behind our consumer and we're gonna deliver to them what they are asking for. And when you are able to deliver and be trustworthy and have that reputation, nine times out of 10, you should prosper. I say nine times out of 10 because nothing is guaranteed in business. We all know that there's a certain amount of risk, but when you do business smart, you minimize those risks, you increase your probability of success.
0: Yeah,
1: because where there's chaos, there's opportunity. Boom, mic drop,
2: this episode's in the books. To re listen to this episode or to check out our past episodes, go to the Jiu Jitsu of Life. Also, check us out on Apple iTunes. Like, review, subscribe. Shout out to our sponsor, Robles, makers of the world's finest custom Jiu Jitsu and streetwear apparel. We're going to be dropping some streetwear apparel Ooh. early next year. Uh, just remember, nobody can be you better than you. Be authentic. Robles, we make custom geese and streetwear apparel. Yellow Pine Investments makes custom warehouses. Be sure to check them out. Check out our boy, Caleb Kalista, sneaky submissions in the no-gi. Check out Steve Hordensky, Jiu-Jitsu on the go, great online training platform. Check out Chaparral Moving if you're in the Austin area. Everybody's wanting to move to Austin. (laughs) So if you're moving to Austin, go ahead and call up Tony Rivera with Chaparral Moving. They have Moving Down to a Science. I'm Mo. That is my dear friend and brother, Carter Fisk. As always, we wish you guys nothing but the best both on and off the mat. Thank you for listening.
1: Thank you, guys.
0: That's it for this episode of The Jujitsu jitsu of Life. Your hosts are Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jujitsu apparel. You can subscribe to the RollBliss newsletter to get the exclusive content at rollbliss.com. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at thejujitsuoflife.com, And you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts Thank you for listening, and we wish you a great week, both on and off the mat.